Welcome to Blockchain Inside. The podcast is co-produced by the International Data Engineering and Science Association, the Purdue Blockchain Lab, and CastBox. Our vision is to connect everyone in the blockchain industry and explore the most up-to-date news. We hope this podcast will be educational, easy to understand, and inspirational for all of our listeners. I'm Coach Culbertson, and today we have with us Devin Thorpe. Devin, why don't you take a minute and introduce yourself to our audience, and also tell us a little story about how you got started with blockchain. Well, thank you, Coach. It's an honor to be with you. I appreciate the invitation. As you know, I'm a Forbes contributor covering social entrepreneurship and impact investing, and as the crypto movement has taken off, my coverage has included more and more stories about blockchain technology in social good applications. I'm really excited to see what this is turning into, but uh, I think back to some of those first stories I did about blockchain for for good. One of the still most inspirational stories uh, was using the idea of blockchain or the technology behind blockchain to create immutable identification records that can't be lost, right, Uh, Mm. for people who are on the move. So think about 60 million, 60 million refugees in the world and you begin to appreciate the scale of the problem. And if you're living out of a tent, maybe called upon to move, you left your home after a flood or a war, you probably didn't have a chance to gather documents. And as you begin to reassemble your life, being able to put that somewhere where it cannot be lost and no one can steal it, that becomes really a special opportunity. That's an exciting application I've seen for blockchain for social good. So anyway, that's I think of that as kind of my kind of connection to the blockchain and the crypto world. Nice, nice. So let's, you know, and that resonates with me even because even though I'm not a refugee, even just moving my life across country, you know, that would help, right? Just to be able to grab hold of your identity wherever you happen to be. Yeah. Let's kind of shift gears and let's, let's dig in more into that idea of social impact. Talk to us a little bit more about that. I like to think of it in sort of a deep impact way. That's kind of where my head goes. I'm, you know, a lot of people will define social impact in relatively soft ways at the margins. Uh, you know, any project in the developing world can be a social good project. Not me. I like to think about deep impact, especially in three areas. I'm, I want to see us eliminate poverty, especially extreme poverty. There's no excuse for it. Uh, Trends are good. We're going to do that. Second, you know, disease, public health, we can get rid of all kinds of communicable diseases and impact, uh, reduce the impact of other diseases like uh, lifestyle diseases, diabetes and cancer. We can get on top of this. And then finally, I think about climate change. And I think there is huge opportunities for us to have a positive impact on the environment, on all of the natural world. But certainly, you know, the overarching problem in the environment, of course, is climate change. And so getting on top of uh, carbon is is a really key thing. And so I think about all of those things. And as I begin to look, I see the potential or I see actual examples of people using blockchain to help solve all of these problems. So in poverty, you know, from the very earliest days of blockchain, we've been talking about cross-border transactions that eliminate the need for banks. Well, for the, you know, 2 billion people who are unbanked in the world, that's a big deal. Right, right. I don't know that we've really cracked that nut yet, but I know there are a lot of smart people working on it and using blockchain 
to address that problem as a for instance. And um, in public health, I think there are opportunities as well. I've been intimately involved with and, and done stories on polio eradication around the world. I've been to Pakistan, India, uh, Ethiopia, and other places looking at this question of how we are going to eliminate polio from the earth. You know, no one in the United States has had polio in 30 years, but it, it, it still circulates in the world. We've got to get rid of it. And, and I look at, I was in Pakistan, in Peshawar. I mean, this is kind of the uh, almost uh, the middle of nowhere. This is a you know off the beaten path for at least most Westerners. And I looked at the way they were using cell phone technology to create a way to do instant reporting from the field that could be funneled all the way back to headquarters instantly. And it would be a radical revolution in the way that data is being gathered. It's still being gathered using clipboards and paper as a general rule. And yet uh, there's a woman there using cell phones. And I think, you know, you could take it to the next step and begin tracking vaccines. You could begin tracking individuals using blockchain technology to make sure no child is ever missed and that every vaccine gets used, et cetera. So huge applications in public health. Yeah. And finally, in the, when we talk about uh, uh, climate change, I get excited about thinking about using the, the potential to use blockchain technology for measuring carbon sequestration or uh, tying it to acreage of a forest. There are all kinds of different applications where we can take and assign a real asset or a real activity to a token and then uh, track it that way using blockchain. And I, I don't want to force the issue there, but I think there's real potential for us to get innovative and creative about uh, blockchain technology in the environment. Yeah, right. On. These are huge, important ideas. But when we start looking at the real impact, how can we estimate how much social impact? that a particular project can can really have? You know, how can blockchain assist in that kind of measurement? Or, or is there some other strategy that would maybe be adjacent to blockchain to help us uh, to help us measure that? Let's be very clear. Measurement is the holy grail of impact, right? Everyone wants to understand what the real impact is. And, and oftentimes there's a big gap between the obvious thing we can measure, the activity we're doing, and the outcome or impact we want to have. So we may be measuring third graders' vocabulary scores, for instance, but what we care about is how many third graders end up in college and not in jail. Mm, and yeah. so in that, that's a really good example of having a big gap between the activity and the impact or the outcome we want to measure. Blockchain could conceivably help us by, we could tag a kid with a token and let that token follow him through the system and we'd be able to see where uh, he ends up in school or whether he ends up in prison and be able to measure outcomes of different interventions that the kid receives along the way. That's just one example. Uh, but you can see how you could do that with almost 
any different asset class or thing. And, you know, I'm not a technologist, but I get excited about with my limited understanding of this technology of how we might be able to use it as we begin to tokenize all kinds of different assets, all kinds of different activities, and to see really how we can improve on measurement and then allow for us to make bets on a reliable measure. I say bets, but what I really mean, of course, is investments on reliable measures of outcomes that will come down the road. And if we can perfect that process, make it affordable and objective, it will really enable much greater investment in those kinds of activities. So let's talk about, uh, there's a lot of folks who are listening out there and already their brains are spinning because you brought up so many incredible ideas. But how can we start a crypto project around a passion and then look for that social impact for it? Or, or if you need to find out the social problems, what could blockchain do to, to solve to build that social impact? I think there's a real challenge here, uh, Coach, and and I want to emphasize this. There is a real temptation. In fact, in 2017, everyone was doing it, right? In fact, (laughs) most of the crypto projects I saw were guilty of this. There was no substance to the application Mm. of the crypto to the solution, to the problem. They, They would find a problem and then they would desperately find some way to connect crypto to it so they could do an ICO. It worked really well for raising money, but in the long run, I don't think that helps solve those problems uh, because too few, I fear, I fear, uh, too few of those projects ended up really incorporating blockchain as an integral part of the solution to the problem. And that's not just uh, in the social good arena. I think it was almost in general in 2017. It was sort of the year of the ICO. What I'm seeing now is that we're beginning to see a real substantive shift, which I think is wonderful, toward integrating blockchain right into the solution. People are understanding now that there's no sense using crypto if it really isn't central to the solution. And so I think that's a good thing that we're seeing in 2018, that shift in focus in how we think about solutions to problems. And there's a much higher level of sophistication. Awesome. So let's say that We've come across a problem. We found we have we really feel like we have a legitimate solution in blockchain because, you know, like you said, there have been a lot of projects that hasn't been the case for. There are a lot of projects that are in existence and, and will be in existence that it really is. Let's talk about crowdfunding. You know, how can folks who who have these amazing groundbreaking ideas because we know that they're out there and some of them are listening to this podcast right now? How would they start? Uh, kicking off a crowdfunding project to get their social impact uh, project up and running. I'm going to be a little bit of a contrarian on this. and That's cool. That first of all, I'd say you've got to find how to fit this into the regulatory structure in the United States. Now, if you don't live in the United States and you're going to raise your money abroad, great. But if you're going to raise your money from people in the United States, and and I know my audience is mostly U.S.-based, uh, your audience is probably more international. But for those who are doing this in the United States, you've got to find an exemption to the securities rules that require you to do a public offering. So Mm. there are a variety of exemptions, but all of them require you to do stuff. 
So regulation A is a very broad exemption that allows you to sell your securities, which could be a token to the general public, uh, but you've got to do a full on fancy looking prospectus. It's not the same one and not as detailed as what you do in a traditional IPO, but it's going to be a big deal. You're going to spend money on attorney. You could do a Reg D 506C offering and, and that's really handy, but you can only take money from accredited investors. Mm. But the documentation requirements are probably the lowest, not that you wouldn't have some, but very low uh, documentation requirements. Reg, uh, Regulation CF, the crowdfunding rule, allow you to raise just up to a million seventy thousand dollars. And as I understand it, it probably costs too much to tokenize your securities offering to justify doing a Reg uh, CF offering because it might cost you a hundred thousand dollars to tokenize your security. So it may make sense to do a Reg CF offering, uh, to do a crowdfunding offering in a traditional way, and then layer on your token after the fact. Use some of that money to tokenize for your uh, follow-on offering. Uh, I'm hoping the technology will get much, much cheaper because I really hope and expect we'll see all securities tokenized in the future and even a first initial issuance to friends and family or a reg cf offering i'm hoping we'll see that tokenized and it'll just be a routine thing that costs hundreds of dollars not hundreds of thousands of dollars but once you've got that offering however you're going to do it and the strategies would be somewhat different depending on which exemption you're using but it, it always starts with friends and family. You got to start asking people one at a time. That's where it begins. Kind of the myth of crowdfunding is that uh, there's a big crowd out there, and, but that big crowd's never going to participate unless you get the people closest to you who already believe in you to, to act first. Right, right. So let's dig more into this idea. You know, I mean, raising money from friends and family, can we just offer them tokens and say, hey, here you go, you know, give, you know, give us a few dollars. I mean, we're, we, you've been talking about regulations and how that is a, a multi-tentacled beast to, to wrestle. It is tempting. And people have done it throughout the ages, right? They have ignored securities laws and they have issued to friends and family securities in small amounts. If those friends and family members are close enough to you that under no circumstance will they sue you, you are, as a practical matter, safe. Now, I'm not an attorney, but I think most attorneys would agree that unless you are using a specific exemption from securities registration rules, you're in trouble if one of them decides to sue you, mm. uh, if things don't go well. And let's be clear, when we're talking about earliest stage deals, most fail. And entrepreneurs sometimes forget that. We get excited. I'm certainly an entrepreneur. I get excited about my deals. I can't believe they'd ever fail. And then sometimes they do. That's what happens. In fact, we know 90% of businesses fail. So the reality is you've, if there's a chance someone might sue you, you definitely, definitely as a practical and as a legal matter, and I'm not an attorney, but you know, as I understand it, as a practical and as a legal matter, you've got to find an exemption from registration. And the three I mentioned, Reg A, Reg D, and Reg CF are three of the big ones 
that people can use for uh, issuing securities. And a token, the SEC seems to be thinking that basically all token sales now are securities. They've only been prosecuting cases where they see a case of fraud. And I think part of that is there's not clarity around what things are securities and what is wrong and how they, but the direction of the SEC is pretty clear. Uh, They think tokens are securities as a general rule. Let's take a step back and talk about the the amount of money. How would you know how much money you really need to raise to get a crypto project off the ground? The way I think about it is you've got to think through getting enough money to get to the next key milestone. And that might be a different place for each project, right? So there's not a magic amount of money. There's not a magic amount of time. Uh, But you've got to be thinking about how do I get from here to a place where I have created a leap in value. That leap in value would come from surmounting a technology or market hurdle. And so you've got to look out and say, okay, what would it take me to clear the next big hurdle in my business development plan as I figure out how I'm going to build my business. uh, And maybe it's uh, completing a technology hurdle. Maybe it's completing a market hurdle, opening in a new country or opening it all for business. You think about what it takes to get there and then raise at least enough to do that. That should be your goal. And again, that's going to be different for every business. For some, it might be $5 million. For others, it might be $50,000. I would encourage people to look at trying to raise enough money to take them at least 12 months, but optimally 18 to 24 months. Uh, But that, again, that will vary. In in the earliest stages, uh, sometimes people will take whatever they can get. But but (laughs) getting money to get you over the next hurdle should be the goal. Gotcha. So the blockchain market, it's really moving fast. I mean, uh, one of our previous guests have talked about how this is almost kind of internet 3.0. Um, you know, how do you keep up with all of it? Well, it, it's tough. Uh, I think about how much things shifted between last fall and this spring. And oh, yeah. It feels almost night and day in eight or nine months of development of the marketplace. Uh, there's just so much more sophistication and some of the things that we're passing for exciting, you know, uh, leading edge ideas are already passe. So I think that argues for uh, looking at, at developing a technology or an application of the blockchain technology that is fundamental to the solution hmm. rather than peripheral. And that takes more thought and more development. And But I think the market in the long run will reward folks who do that, right? If you have a really good idea for how a blockchain technology can solve a problem, it's likely to survive any bursting of a, an economic bubble in this sector, which we could see. I mean, let's be realistic because there are lessons we can take from the dot-com boom and bust cycle. And I think some of those are relevant in the blockchain boom that we're seeing with the potential for a bust. You want to be able to survive the bust. So you've got to look at being you know, really grounded in fundamental technologies. I think the businesses like Amazon in the 90s that were fundamental, uh, building fundamental technologies to how the world would work have been much more successful than those who were peripheral. 
Uh, mm. I remember visiting a, a dot-com in Boston back in the 90s. I was working for a larger public company, and this little tiny uh, startup had raised $100 million, spent most of it, but they still had $30 million on their balance sheet, and they were generating almost no revenue. We went to see their operations. They were doing online sales, and they basically had no technology. They had a, a very basic, I mean, it's the kind of, uh, you know, we would laugh today, right? It was just a basic shopping cart technology and nothing on the back end. So an order would come in, you know, someone would have to manually print it off and then run around the warehouse picking and packing and then ship it out using no technology at all. Just right. they were taking pens and marking up the labels. I mean, it was just crazy. And so we, it was clear that we were investing in hype back in the 90s. And, and so some of those, like this business I'm describing, there was no real technology there. But the winners were the folks who were really investing in fundamental technology so that it w- they could survive through a bust. And that's what we're going to need to do now in the blockchain. Yeah, right on. I dig that. So uh, let's talk about the social entrepreneurship scene now. Do you have any suggestions for the social side in the blockchain community? Well, I think there are a lot of exciting opportunities in, in that arena. And for us to solve big problems, we need a lot of shots on goal because a lot of them are going to miss. And I'm grateful to the social entrepreneurs who are willing to take those shots. I'm grateful to the impact and investors who are willing to put money behind them. Uh, But we need a lot of shots on goal in order to really solve some of these big problems. But I think there are huge opportunities. As we talk about alleviating poverty, we talked about cross-border transactions. I think there are a lot of people already chasing that. If you're not already in that game, I wouldn't get into that game because there are so many people doing it. But there are countless other ways to be thinking about how we can use blockchain technology in that sector. Like, is there a way to use blockchain technology to meter water so that it can be billed and create a new model for paying for wells that would be affordable to low-income communities, but that would drive the maintenance and construction and drilling of new boreholes for wells. That's just one idea. But there are all kinds of things. We can do that in the public health arena. We talked a little bit about vaccinations. We talked about, um, you know, tracking individuals, you know, kids to make sure they get all their shots. We think about in, in the climate change arena, how do we measure carbon production? How do we measure carbon sequestration? I think there are opportunities in those arenas as well. Certainly in the, you know, tokenizing a forest or jungle, I think there's opportunity there to make sure that we preserve and protect those kinds of assets that are sequestering uh, carbon naturally. Uh, There are new technologies that people are experimenting with in farming that sequester carbon. You know, is there an application for tokenizing part of that activity? Those are the things I would be looking at today. Um, all right. So as we bring our podcast on in for a landing here, hey, how about you tell our, our listeners how that they can connect with you and maybe share any resources that you might have for our blockchain enthusiasts? Well, thank you, Coach. I really appreciate the invitation to do that. I'm easiest to find on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at Devin D. Thorpe, D-E-V-I-N, and D-T-H-O-R-P-E. And as a resource, uh, let me suggest uh, you 
go to Forbes.com and search for the hashtag crypto for good. You just put that crypto for good hashtag into the search bar at Forbes and you'll find a series I did on crypto for good. I think it's very relevant to our discussion. Awesome. Devin, it has been an absolute pleasure to have you. You've really spurred a lot of great ideas here in this session. Thank you. It's been an honor to be with you, Coach. Thank you. All right. Well, to our listeners, thanks for following up with us today, Blockchain Inside. The podcast is co-produced by the International Data Engineering and Science Association, Purdue Blockchain Lab, and CastBox. Please subscribe to our show on castbox.fm slash blockchain lab and leave a comment there if you have any questions. I'm Coach Colbertson. Thanks for hanging out with us today. We'll see you next time.